Hey guys, welcome to Rihanna's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest who's a veterinarian that oversees the health of the entire collection at the North Carolina Zoo. He also specializes in anesthesia, reproductive physiology, and the conservation of forest elephants in West Africa. I am so glad to welcome and introduce Dr. J.B. Minter. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to begin our discussion. Thank you, Virana. Yes, I'm happy to be here. So let's just get started. I was wondering what exactly is it that motivated you to become a veterinarian? Honestly, I have wanted to be a veterinarian for most of my life. Obviously, I went through a small stage where I wanted to be a fireman when I was really, really young. Uh, but obviously, I've, I've, I've always had a passion for animals and always have always loved animals. So it's, it's one of those things that kind of has been with me for most of my life. Wow, that's truly awesome. So since you had an interest in uh, being a veterinarian since you were really younger, so what did your educational journey look like towards working to aspire in this field? So my educational journey was obviously, I mean, high school, and then I, I went into an undergraduate at Virginia Tech um, where I was an animal science major. That degree was kind of was leading me towards going closer and closer to being a veterinarian. Obviously, lots of kids were coming out of that degree with and applying to veterinary school. Um, I ended up at the towards the tail end of that was really, really getting into wildlife. And I was very interested in did I, I was trying to decide if I wanted to pr- pursue a Ph.D. in wildlife biology or if I wanted to pursue um, a doctorate, a doctorate in veterinary medicine. Talking to one of my mentors at the time, uh, Dr. Bill Beal, um, he suggested I do a master's degree so that I would potentially make get a better idea of if more going towards more of a research background or more of a, a medical background was something for me. So I ended up pursuing a master's degree at Utah State um, and where I pursued a master's in wildlife biology. Most of my work was looking at assisted reproductive techniques in wild canids. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the research aspect of what I was doing. But at that time, uh, my advisor had a combined PhD DVM. So he was both. He had a, both of those degrees. And he was he suggested that I actually pursue a DVM or a, a veterinary degree because PhDs at the time were not really getting a lot of jobs. Uh, the market was, this was in early 2000s. It was just not a great time for PhDs to find uh, jobs in academic institutions. He suggested that I get a DVM because I'd be more marketable. He thought, oh, if you get this, you can potentially do uh, research. You can always pursue a PhD later, but the DVM would just be a more marketable degree. So I moved from Utah. I moved back to North Carolina. Uh, I moved back to North Carolina, and I, um, I was working in a neuroscience lab at the time, just trying to get in-state tuition before applying to veterinary school at, at North Carolina State College of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, I, I got into vet school. I did the four years there. That was where I really realized what the combination of these, having a research interest in conservation, as well as having a DVM could do for me. Uh, because again, thinking about veterinary medicine, most people think, oh, I can do small animals, dogs and cats. 
Uh, I could potentially do large animals such as horses and cows and goats and sheep and pigs. Um, but this kind of other aspect where I could go into zoo medicine, but also be able to do some conservation and research was also uh, an option or, or an avenue for me. So I really, really um, pursued that while I was in veterinary school. Uh, I did a large animal internship at the University of Illinois and then ended up coming back to North Carolina to pursue a residency. Because uh, again, it's a lot of class, a lot of school. And this residency program is a three-year program. It, uh, it was through North Carolina State and the North Carolina Zoo, which I where I currently work. And that program kind of sets you up to sit for the um, American College of Zoological Medicine board exam. So it's a three-year program. You get a lot of research background and a lot of research experience, but also a lot of clinical experience. At the end of that residency program, I sat and passed for my board exam. I moved out to North, uh, South Dakota where I became the veterinarian for the Great Plains Zoo in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, before coming back to North Carolina once again uh, to take on the position here that I currently have. Oh, okay. So your entire journey sounds so fascinating and so exhilarating. So um, now that you're finally a veterinarian and you work at the North Carolina Zoo, so uh, what is your role there and what animals do you treat? So my role here, currently there are two full-time veterinarians here at the zoo here. I am the director of animal health. So I oversee the entire uh, animal health or veterinary section here at the North Carolina Zoo. So in, in conjunction with managing um, the ins and outs of the preventative health program and dealing with all the sick animals that we have here at the North Carolina Zoo, I also manage all of the staff. So I have seven full-time veterinary technicians. Uh, another, like I said, a second veterinarian that works with, with me. We also, I talked about the residency program. So we still take residents here at the North Carolina Zoo. So I work with those quite intensively. Um, there's a lot of meetings that I've, because I, again, I'm part of the senior senior management team at the North Carolina Zoo. So I sit on meetings that range from diversity and inclusion down to potential design of new exhibits. Uh, so I, I have a, my fingers in a lot of different things. Um, again, the biggest aspect is, again, I do oversee the entire health of the, uh, the health of the entire collection, along with my uh, associate veterinarian, Tim Jaroff. So we do a lot of just normal day-to-day -day things that you would think of a normal veterinarian. So we, today I went out to look at a sitatunga that was lame. I had to go look at a small short-tailed opossum uh, that's having some issues with some mobility. So it, it ranges all over the place. And you ask what animals. Uh, I deal with every animal from the, the 6,000 kilogram African elephant all the way down to the two gram poison dart frog. So, and everything in between. Yeah, that's great. So um, now I'm sure that since you run an entire um, collection of animals and you take care of each and every one of them, there must be a lot of challenges. So can you share any challenges that you have faced? Yeah, so again, the, the biggest challenge that we have as zoo veterinarians is that a lot of the equipment that you would purchase for veterinary medicine uh, is not designed for some of our species. So <clears throat> a lot of the equipment we have has been designed for dogs and cats, horses and cows. But think about what we have. We have tiny little frogs. We have large rhinoceros. That equipment doesn't function as well. So there's a lot of, there has, you have to be very flexible in what you can do. And 
um, trying to come up with ways to make this equipment work. There's also a very large gap in the information. Again, a lot of veterinary medicine and medicine in general is based off of information and research that, you, that has been conducted over the course of years and years and years. Uh, a lot of that information for the species that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis just doesn't exist. Uh, so we are making judgment calls. I may be looking at a rhinoceros and saying, oh, I've got to make a judgment call or I got to make a medical decision off of this, but that information is not there. What animal do we have a lot of information on that's very similar to the species? So to me, I look at a rhinoceros and I say, okay, well, they're very similar to a horse in a lot of aspects. So a lot of the medicine that we practice on a rhinoceros is based on the medicine that we know about in horses. Um, same thing when we look at giraffe, we think, okay, very similar to other ruminants or large cow-like species. Uh, so we base a lot of that information on other animals that we know a lot more about. Right, so now as a veterinarian, there must be um, some animals that may be really difficult to treat because maybe of old age. So can you share some of your experience that um, you have faced? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's obviously some of the biggest things, um, obviously, if you were, if I, I did small animal medicine for a year. So I was a small animal clinician, deal with dogs and cats and puppies and kittens and things. And those, those dealing with those types of things is, is easier because you can, if I tell you as the client, hey, I need you to give your animal this pill every day at four o'clock. You just take your dog or cat and you give them the pill. Sometimes you can put it in something, they'll take it from you. Now, if I'm telling you and you are the animal care team for a lion, and I say, hey, I need you to give this animal this pill every day. Well, if it doesn't want to take the pill, you can't actually just force it to take the pill because again, at 300 pounds or 150 to 60 kilograms, uh, that, that animal would likely try to kill you. Uh, so we have, we have a lot of those nuances where it's, it becomes difficult to do some of the care that we think would be ideal just because some of the post-after post care is just complicated. Uh, for example, I remember having a baboon that just would not take any medication and we would put it in something and he started to realize that inside of that, I think we were given it in, um, at the time, I think we were given it in juice and he started to realize that the medication was in the juice and he did not want it. So he stopped taking the juice. So we put it in something else and he didn't take it in that. And then we said, I said, just give him a piece of candy. Just put it in a piece of candy and give it to him. Well. He started to realize that, I, I'm not sure if you know what a starburst is, it's a little piece of chewy candy. Uh, it got to the point where you had to, we had to rewrap, put it in the candy, rewrap it so that he could see you open it because he realized that if the candy was already open, it was probably tainted. So you're dealing with these animals that are just extremely intelligent um, and they, 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 they start to realize what you're doing and they just say, I'm not gonna do that. So they are, it's, a, it's an interesting game for sure. But on the flip side of that, we have a lot of animals that will participate in their own healthcare. So we've got um, a polar bear that will come up and put its arm in a specialized little sleeve that we designed so that we can bleed it from the back of its hand. Um, our, our adult male lion, we know he's got some underlying kidney disease and he is trained to allow us to monitor his kidney disease by drawing blood from his tail. We draw blood from his tail every three months just to monitor that kidney disease. And that took a significant amount of training from the animal care team and the, and the veterinary technical team to be able to do that. But again, we don't have to do anesthesia on him. 
and he'll do that quarterly for us. I truly admire your uh, determination and love for animals. So um, speaking of which, what are some skills that are required in a veterinarian in order to succeed in the field? So, I mean, obviously the big thing is, I mean, you need to get into veterinary school. So you're gonna have to have, um, you're gonna have to do well in school. You're gonna have to do well in some of the basic sciences and basic math. Uh, and that's gonna get you in a, a good college. Obviously you have to do well in college. Um, again, along the same lines, biological sciences are probably going to be where you're probably going to want to devote a lot more of your attention. Um, I would say the biggest thing people, a lot of people get into the animal sciences uh, that like, again, take veterinary medicine, for example, thinking they won't have to have um, the communication skills with the humans. Uh, but that's not the way the field has gone anymore. There's still a lot more communication, especially if you're doing like a private practice, small animal, large animal, you're going to have to do that daily communication with the client, but you're going to have to have a lot of social skills to engage with people, taking very, very large medical jargon and ideas, condensing it down to something that somebody can understand. Because again, you have to, you have to be able to condense all that medical knowledge that you have in your head down to something that the owner can potentially digest and be able to utilize that to help, to help their animal. Here at the zoo, I deal with animal care teams. I deal with the animal care staff or the, the zookeepers. I think that I think of them just like I would an animal, like a client. I'm basically trying to condense some of that information down for them so that they can understand what's going on. Another big skill I would say is flexibility. Uh, being able to realize that your day may not just may not change. If you're very structured and very and unable to to spin around and do something a little bit differently because the day has gone differently. This, this field may not be for you because again, my day, everybody always like to say, what's your day like? Well, my day doesn't have a really good flow to it because it changes all the time. Right, absolutely, I'm sure. So um, now as a veterinarian, what interested you about this field and what's the best aspect about it? So, I mean, again, to me, what interested me, and especially going into zoological medicine, is that is that the days were not the same. I actually like the I like the flexibility in my day. I like the ability to that never, no two days are really the same. It's always different. I'm always looking at so many different species. It keeps me interested uh, in what I do every day. I, I don't really. It's quite hard for you to become bored doing this because your things are always changing. There are so many different aspects to what are what's happening here at the zoo. This zoo job has also given me an opportunity to express my interest in uh, field work or field conservation. So like I said, I, I do do some field work in uh, West Africa. So it's given me the opportunity to travel, uh, work with um, species that are overseas that need a lot more help. So again, it's, it's the flexibility, it's the day-to-day -day changes that have, have kept me interested and really drove me to do what I am doing today. Yeah, you also mentioned that you did some work in West Africa. So uh, can you share some of that and what projects you worked on? Yeah, so um, my predecessor, one of the gentlemen that trained me in zoological medicine is uh, Dr. Mike Loomis. And Mike Loomis started in the mid nineties, started working in Cameroon collaring forest elephants. Um, so forest elephants, there are three species of elephants in, in the world. There's the Asian elephant, and then there's two African uh, species. There is the uh, savanna elephant and the, the African forest elephant. The forest elephants 
a little bit smaller than the Africa savannah elephant. Uh, they live in much smarter, small, smaller groups, uh, and they are more endangered than the, than the savannah cousins. <clears throat> so Mike has been working, and Mike had been working in Cameroon for a long time, collaring these elephants, looking at movement patterns of this of these different herds around Cameroon, and with that information, he was able to help with uh, human elephant conflict. Um, as people are expanding out of the cities and, 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 and developing farms and, and, and things in, in, the, in the rural areas of Cameroon, this, these populations of elephants would come into villages, they would eat crops, and obviously they would cause issues with, with their, their humans that were in the same, that were sharing the same area. Uh, this led to unnecessary killing of elephants that didn't need to, they didn't need to. Um, so again, by collaring them, you can monitor them, their movement patterns, help with the human elephant conflict, but also help the, the Cameroonian government um, develop um, wildlife, basically corridors, potentially wildlife parks. Uh, with some of the information that Mike was able to come up with, they were able to develop a national park in Cameroon, because again, this, this particular park had a lot of elephants in it. Uh, so they were able to basically turn this particular area into a, um, a national park. So as Mike, when Mike retired, uh, he still helps me with, he still goes over and works with me with elephants, but we're doing the same thing that he's been doing, but we are now working in Cote d'Ivoire. So we're working with the Ivorian government to, to basically look to see where their elephant populations are, try to get an estimate of how many elephants are left in, in Cote d'Ivoire, as well as trying to look at movement patterns uh, of where these elephants are, where they're moving to, and, and help the government better understand the population of elephants they have within their country. Yeah, that's truly a great initiative. And um, I think it's so important that you maintain the wildlife and especially elephants that you talked about to maintain the food chain or just um, simply to keep the ecosystem going. So what are your thoughts on uh, extinction or endangerment of animals? Well, I, I would say that, I mean, for most, um, the endangered, the slide or the endangerment of most of the animals here in the world now, are, is most of them are, have to do with humans. Uh, we are the cause of most endangerment of animals now due to encroachment on, on habitat, uh, poaching, obviously, for some of some species. Um, we are, we as a as a, as a species have, have started to really expand into areas that uh, animals have been thriving for thousands of years. Uh, and we, yeah, we just have not done the world a, a good favor by doing some of the things that we have done. Again, we keep, we keep growing the numbers while we keep pushing everybody down. Um, again, I think the big thing for us is to start to realize that some of these, um, some of these species are cornerstone species that cannot uh, leave. I mean, take the forest elephant, for example. Again, I do a lot of work with forest elephant. An, a forest elephant is a ecosystem um, engineer. They do tons and tons of stuff, making way uh, for other smaller species to thrive. They are huge uh, in the population and movement of seeds, seed dispersal throughout the, the, the areas of Cameroon and, what, and Cote d'Ivoire. There are some particular seeds in the jungles of these uh, countries that cannot, um, they cannot basically spread their seeds without elephants because the seeds are so large and they take the digestion of an elephant to break that seed down so that it actually can germinate. Those seeds have developed with the elephant without the elephant there, uh, those plant species would also die. We consider 
Um, we think about it when you, we, we always think about an endangered species. Most people think about um, mammals, they think about animals, but plants are also on the same downhill slide that most of the animals that we have out there are. So again, we are hopefully, uh, I mean, there's enough people that are making good decisions, but there are still some people that are not. So I am hoping that we can turn this around, um, but it's going to take a lot of people and a lot of energy and effort to do so. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I think it's time to voice the animals whose um, cries go unheard. So um, I think together, if everyone works towards it and if someone truly has a passion to do it, so if people work together, I'm sure we'll be able to achieve it soon or maybe sometime in the future. Yeah. Now, towards the healthcare aspect, um, how mm -hmm. has technology helped you as a veterinarian? So it's helped me dramatically. I mean, because again, the we have a hospital here at the North Carolina Zoo, but um, the, the ability to take a lot of our equipment uh, out into the park and be very mobile has been extremely helpful. Uh, because again, moving some of those animals back to the into the hospital itself is either not not possible or very, very difficult. Moving an elephant down to the hospital, not doable. So I have to be able to take the hospital and move it to the animal. And technology has allowed a lot of our equipment to become significantly smaller and more portable. So things that in the past we would have been unable to take out of the hospital and take down to the barns uh, now is. I mean, I'm able to take an ultrasound machine that if you went back 20 to 20 to 30 years, the ultrasound machine was huge uh, and it was really an unwielding piece, piece of equipment. Whereas now it looks an ultrasound machine that looks like a laptop. And I mean, there's now ultrasound machines that you can attach to your smartphone um, and your smartphone becomes your viewing window. So again, the technology has allowed our equipment to become smaller and smaller. And it also has allowed us just to, the equipment to become significantly larger or significantly better and more um, sensitive to the data that we're, we're looking to collect. So again, that's probably how technology has really, really helped the veterinary field. Yeah, it's just insane how much technology has advanced and quickened our steps. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it has made things so much easier for each and every one of us. For sure. Lastly, what advice would you like to give to anyone that wants to join the same field as yours? So again, I would say if anybody is really, really interested in, in being a veterinarian, really um, examine, there's so many options out there. Start talking to people that are already doing uh, what you think you may want to do because they can probably better guide you. The other thing to really to think about is there's no one way to get to a particular goal. Um, people always ask me and they think they look at my path and they say, oh, I have to do exactly what he did to get where he is. And that's not true. Uh, a lot of my colleagues that are doing very similar things to what I'm doing have gone a very different path and they have got to the same place. So there's lots of different paths to get there. But I would say talk to several different people because, again, having a multiple different um, paths and multi an understanding of all of these different paths will help, can potentially help someone that's trying to pursue that career. Uh, and shadow as many veterinarians as you possibly can. Um, again, Lots of different people get into veterinary medicine and lots of people get in for different reasons, but uh, find the one that mimics you or are kind of very similar to your passions and your goals 
and talk to them, shadow them if you can. Uh, and then that will, will help you tremendously when, when you're really getting to that point. Yeah, absolutely. That's some really helpful advice. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast and talking about your experiences and your passions. I had a great time talking to you and getting to know more about your insights. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thank Rihanna. You'll have a, a fantastic day. Thank you. Uh, and to let all of you know, this podcast is now available on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Radio Public and Breaker. Make sure you subscribe to all listening platforms and stay tuned. Thank you so much, Doctor. Bye bye. Thank you.